Hot Take is brought to you by Cozy Earth. Uh, Mary, did you have any big buying binges during the the height of the pandemic, like on lockdown? Were there things that you particularly were were um, ordering online? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I bought a lot of lipstick oh, in the very early right. days of the I pandemic. And let me tell you, I regret the fuck out of that <laughs> because of all the things to buy, that was the most useless because now you can't wear it without looking like the Joker. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, I bought only sheets, sheets and blankets. I don't know why I was like in full nesting like soft bedding mode and my absolute favorite after trying like every single brand was Cozy Earth. So I was very excited. This is a flex. (laughs) This is a flex. Cozy Earth is made using the finest premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo. Their bedding is naturally temperature regulating and you can sleep comfy on it all year round. Bamboo, as we have talked about previously on this podcast is super sustainable. It's like grass. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. you can cut it and use it and uh, it doesn't really do much to the surrounding area. They also have a loungewear collection. This was the other thing that I bought during the pandemic was a lot of loungewear. Just rub I did it not in. Know. Just I know. rub it in. I, I did not know that Cozy Earth made loungewear at that point or I would have bought theirs too because they're Bamboo fabric is super, super, super soft. So I can only imagine that wearing it around um, in pajamas or joggers or t-shirts would feel amazing. You can check out their premium plush and waffle bath towels too. I swear to God, I like pretty much everything I want to buy is is uh, Cozy Earth. Um, <laughs> plus every Cozy Earth bedding item comes in a beautiful reusable canvas bag, which is great because most of the time sheets come in those weird little like two tiny sacks, you know, if, if yeah. anything. Um, so I love that, uh, that you can actually use the bag it comes in for groceries and whatever else, which I have and done. You don't, uh, I have too. And, um, and also if you give them a, as a gift, that means you don't have to deal with gift wrapping. So, Oh, I'm not giving anybody these sheets for gifts. They're for me. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners can save 40%. That's 40, 40% right now at Cozy Earth. Hurry up. This is a holiday offer that ends soon. Go to CozyEarth.com slash hot and be sure to enter hot at checkout to save 40%. That's CozyEarth.com slash hot. CozyEarth.com slash hot. Hey, hotcakes. We are planning a mailbag episode, but first we need a bag full of mail. So we need questions from you. Send your questions to hottake at cricket.com. That's hottake at cricket.com. And remember, that's just for questions. Uh, please continue to send all hate mail to Brian Kahn. That's B-K-A-H-N at protocol.com. That's right. And you can send us anything. Questions about policy, who's taller, who's oh. taller actually, um, it's me. movies, TV shows. Um, politics, movement stuff. Mm-hmm. Some, what we have for know. breakfast. Yeah, whatever. Our cats. Um. Oh, right. Because you have multiple <laughs> cats now. Yeah. Yes, I do. Anything yeah. you want, send it. If we don't know the answer and we want to include your question, we'll at least try to figure out the answers. So, um, so yeah, don't be shy. If you want to be anonymous, you can note that in your email too. 
Send us your questions. We will answer them to the best of our ability. Amy, what's your um, social security number? No, no. Hot take at crooked.com. Send them in. Hey, hot cakes. Welcome to Hot Take. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Mariani Hegler. And it is time to talk about the midterm. <laughs> Amy, yeah. how was your election night? Um, I honestly, I really didn't even look at it last night because yeah. I just thought, well, we're not really going to know much until the morning anyway. Why? Why extend the worry and pain? And yeah. and I have to say, it was. Um, it was nice to wake up to a bunch of headlines saying, oh, the red wave that was predicted didn't happen. <laughs> so you know what good. is that not an appealing visual? A red wave. Yes, like, I know. So gross. Ugh. I'm either yeah. thinking of blood or Hawaiian punch, neither of which are things I necessarily want in my life. Neither um, is appealing. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't watch the returns come in uh, play by play either. Um, I was kind of like, just processing the weight of voting for the first time in the South. Yeah. Um, and like actual slavery was on the ballot. Um, Unreal. Which Unreal. is, yeah. you know, we, this is a topic for another day, but the way that that ballot initiative was worded mm. was extremely, extremely confusing here in Louisiana. Um, mm. And so the vote didn't go the way folks wanted it to go. Um, oh, so, Yeah processing that um but oh let's gosh. talk about the fun part what were your snacks on election night um i have this new obsession uh called they're called japanese peanuts um never saw them when i was in japan but they're like really popular in costa rica <laughs> and i think you oh. can get them in the u.s too they're coated with this like kind of salty slightly spicy but not too spicy uh crunchy coating Ugh. I'm obsessed. Just popping should, those things constantly. We should see if we can get them to sponsor the show. Um, yes. <laughs> I I don't even know if I can call what I did last night snacking. I think I was just like binging. <laughs> I, I had like this new cold brew coconut um, boba ice cream from Trader Joe's. Yum. And I almost ate the entire container um, at these rice mochis from Trader Joe's that I'm obsessed with because mm. on Monday night, there was a Saints game and I made a run to Trader Joe's and it was empty. And oh, nice. <laughs> I thought I was just going to go pick up a couple of snacks. When I tell you that cart was very heavy by the time I made <laughs> it to the front. There's something about Trader Joe's that brings out the early pandemic hoarder in me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was grateful for it last night because I, yeah, I had a lot of feelings and I ate every single one of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's time, Amy, unfortunately. Yeah, we got to talk about the big thing that was on the ballot this time, right? It's time to talk about climate. All right, Amy, what happened last night? The red wave did not arrive as predicted. So there was this huge amount of, 
you know, polling coverage ahead of the elections that was like the Democrats are just going to get absolutely trounced in this election by Republicans. And that did not happen, which is very, very good news for climate policy and lots of other things. Yeah, I think we should clarify that we are recording this the morning after uh, the midterms uh, last night. And so by the time this comes out on Friday, some races may have been called that are not called right now. Uh, but right. we are not in the business of predicting the future. Um, so we're just not even going to do that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it does still look likely that Republicans will gain control of the House. Boom. I know. What is very much up for debate and will probably still be unknown by the time this comes out on Friday is whether Democrats will hold on to the Senate. And that makes a very, very big difference when we're Mm -hmm. talking about all kinds of policy, um, but especially climate policy, because, you know, that's where um, that's where the government, you know, approves cabinet positions and um, a lot of appropriation stuff kind of relies on the Senate And of course, judicial appointments and confirmations go through the Senate. So we'll be kind of, you know, biting our nails until we know what happens there. But let's talk about some some definitely good news. So John Fetterman won in Pennsylvania. That's right. Um, There will be no there will be no Senator Oz. Thank God. Thank God. And importantly, Josh Shapiro also won for governor there. So that Uh is a flip of the governorship there from Republican to Democrat. And that is two Democrats who did not fanboy fracking and won their fucking races. So I hope we can put that myth to rest. I I feel like there's a, a lesson there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, definitely. Seems like accountability is a winning. Uh, strategy. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I actually think that that was such a smart strategy there. And I hope it's one that gets replicated that in in both of those cases, they really focused on um, accountability for really unethical practices in the industry. So they didn't, they, I mean, they didn't need to say let's ban fracking or let's do this or do that. Like they, they were able to kind of, um, I don't know, go with that message and it worked. So Mm -hmm. let's do more of that maybe. Um, Another really interesting win in Florida is Maxwell Alejandro Frost, who is from Florida and he is the first Gen Z representative to be voted in. He Mm -hmm. um, ran on a platform that was pro-environmental justice and Green New Deal, pro-public transit, all that stuff. Also big um, nod to Gen Z in general in this election. Most of the pundits who are looking at this race are saying if Gen Z voters hadn't turned out the way they did, it really would have been a red wave. So I think like you know, an important thing for Democrats to know going into (laughs) the general election in 2024, that young voters are turning out. And for the most part, Gen Z is voting very, very progressive. Um, Yeah. 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 Um, And uh, another thing that I think is important for Democratic leadership to uh, like kind of process is that uh, the millennials are not the kids anymore. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, yeah. like there there mm-hmm. seemed to be so much focus on millennials are 40 now, guys. Come on. We like... <laughs> let me tell you, we are waking up to cups of Metamucil and slathering on biofreeze. All right. Like it's real over here. So yeah. like messaging yeah. to us, like where the kids is like, mm-hmm. I don't know what the 2008 hell is going on there. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. There are new yeah, kids on the true. block, quite literally. Um, and the new kids it's on the true. block have no idea who new kids on the block were. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. The other really good news is both Cori Bush and Ilhan Omar got reelected. So yep. I, I didn't even know that either of them were up for reelection, <laughs> to be honest. I didn't even think about it. But um, but I'm very glad they both won. Yes, I, I'm really, really excited about Corey and Ilhan. I mean, they've been such strong climate advocates in the Congress. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm really glad that they're they're going to be able to stay there. Um, yeah. I know that Warnock and his race is not all the way called, but it's, it's really, really close. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really hoping we get to keep Warnock in the Senate because I, I just, I don't know if I'm ready to fix my mouth to say Senator Herschel Walker. Oh, God. Um, yeah. <sighs> yeah. That, that yeah. would be a really scary day. I'm seeing a lot of people predict that that's going to be a runoff. And if that happens, historically, the, the Dem candidate does better. And I think that, that that would likely be the case here. Of course, there are no, no like, you know, crystal ball. But, um, but, man, it'd be nice if he could just win it without a runoff. Um, mm-hmm. save, save us from once again worrying about Georgia for a month. Um, I know, know, I know. And I want Herschel Walker to join the slate of other MAGA candidates that have lost terribly. Yes. Or yeah. Bigly, as you might say. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, that that also seemed like kind of a big um, trend in, in these midterms was that in a lot of cases, the, the fringiest of the, the Trump candidates did not do well. So, um, Dr. Oz, we just talked about Pennsylvania, you know, did not (laughs) win Pennsylvania. Thank God. Blake Masters in Arizona, who was really heavily funded by a lot of the, the big, um, Republican funders did not win, did not even really get close in Arizona. Like that, that was not a narrow race. Yeah. And we've already talked about Dr. Oz, but I, I have to say like, the thing is like, they can lose the election, but they're never going to believe that they've lost the election That's and right. their supporters mm-hmm. are armed and crazy. So right. I, I'm really worried. Like elections aren't over anymore. <laughs> they're That's never true. over. That's true. And and actually, speaking of which, uh, I just saw this morning Ben Collins was saying that the um, the right wing folks are already uh, trying to spread the rumor that there were election shenanigans happening in Arizona. So that seems to be where they that are targeting bad. all of the, um, you know, false election fraud talk is targeted at Arizona, which is interesting because, you know, I I would have thought you'd see it around Pennsylvania, but, um, but it seems to be very focused on, on Arizona. And I, I can only assume that that is, is probably going to focus on the governor race, which is a lot closer than the Senate race was. So that one is uh, Carrie Lake 
And I think I kind of get the sense that Republicans are at least like the sort of stop the steal Trumpy Republicans are looking at Arizona as the place that they're going to mess with the general election in 2024 and having right for it. Yeah. And having a Republican governor is kind of key to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, like a, a friend of mine was um, reminding me this morning to look at the secretary of state races, because that position at the state level is the person that can move to overturn election results. Um, mm. And and so, yeah, there are close races in Arizona and Nevada on, on that front, too. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, and so, Amy, you wrote an article last week in The Guardian about climate change being on the ballot, <laughs> which mm-hmm. it definitely was, even yeah. if people didn't say it directly. Um, and you mentioned a whole bunch of different races to watch, um, including attorneys general and some of these other offices like the Texas Railroad Commission that we don't often think about. Um, mm-hmm. Let's. I know we're going to talk more about attorneys general with our uh, next guest that I won't spoil for the listeners, but mm-hmm, let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what happened there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the big news is like Texas still hasn't had a, a non-Republican, you know, statewide official elected going on 25 years now. Um, none of those races huh. were even close. Like hmm. uh, Ken Paxton is still attorney general. Wayne Christian is still Texas Railroad Commissioner. Um, Greg Abbott is still governor. <laughs> and like yeah. by a large margin, too. So. Yeah. I saw that Greg Abbott actually won Uvalde. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just, that's so sad to me. That is, is so sad. sad. And the it thing is, is like, yeah. so your article, um, and I know we're going to talk more about these races, but your article ends posing the question about why aren't more candidates running on accountability? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I mean, I, th- I think Beto did um, to mm-hmm. a good degree, but like, not enough people are are talking about accountability and we're up against people who are just straight up lying, just straight up lying. It's so Mm -hmm. much easier to lie than it is to tell the truth about so many of these things Um, because the truth is, is complicated. I mean, it is, it's really complicated, but it is very clear who needs to be held accountable. So like that's, that's the part to talk about. Um, yeah. You know what I what strikes me too is like like I was thinking about this with respect to a lot of the western states cuz I've had this experience a lot in the last year or so where I've been working on stories about um about or just stories that include people who are very like like very much a particular archetype in the West. And I don't think that people outside of the West understand this personality type. And it's basically like libertarian, but not ideological. Like it's really, it's like, it's all about sort of personality and authenticity and not really so much about politics. And I keep seeing Democrats like try to run really vanilla centrist Dems in places like Arizona and Nevada and Colorado and all these places. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you think that the, that the, the right wing there is so extreme that they would never, ever look at a far left progressive. But what you're missing is that actually like that a far left progressive is way more attractive to 
a Western libertarian than like yeah. a centrist Dem would be. And honestly, I, you know, I was thinking about it with the West, but I kind of see it in some of these other races too. Like even yeah. in Pennsylvania, where I think a big part of what helped Fetterman was that he could say, look at this guy. He's not even from here. Like he doesn't yeah. even go here, you know? <laughs> right. And right. That is actually like a really big message in a lot of of these states. It's like people want someone who is from where they're from, is like familiar with what's important to people in that area and can kind of like talk the talk with them. And and like, I don't know. I just don't get like why why that's not being – kind of embraced more and, and yeah. like very much the story of like this rich guy from out of state can't come in here and tell us what to do. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, this might be an inappropriate metaphor given the West, but you kind of got to got fight fire with fire. Yeah, it's true. You know? It's true. Exactly. It's like, you can't, you can't tackle like some, you know, uh, I don't know, like some, I don't know. Yeah. You can't like tackle like a cowboy with um, an accountant. <laughs> That's a very good point. I, I was recently watching a documentary about Ronald Reagan and his like rise to power. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, like he was fucking bonkers. Like he went yeah. after, you know, on the anti-crime, anti, which was really anti-Black Panther uh, mm-hmm. platform really, really hard when he ran yeah. for governor of California. Yeah. And that's like... I don't know. It's like people people want a fighter. They the do. fascists want a fighter, and so do the progressives. Like I, I want someone who is actually going to fight for my values and yeah. not, you know, just kind of and passively leave it in the road. Sorry, totally. that wasn't totally. Eloquent. No, and that's where I feel like the accountability stuff comes in a lot too. Where it's like, you know, I think it's I don't know. I'm just like I feel like. I don't know. I just feel like, and again, we saw this in Pennsylvania. I feel like kind of being able to just like break it down to bad guys and good guys and point out like who's fucking people over is really appealing. (laughs) And, and like, I don't understand why, I don't know why we're not doing that more. The Ohio race is another really good example, right? Like mm-hmm. I honestly, I'm just like, Oh my God, if the Dems had had someone with even a tiny bit of personality who could have really gone after JD Vance as this guy that like Peter Thiel paid for yeah. to be in Ohio. Like, and I just, I'm like, I feel like that would have been a really great strategy but he's so wishy-washy and so like I don't know I'm like who is this guy we have no idea you know um so we're gonna have Senator J.D. Vance yes we are yes we are how are we gonna like I it took a lot (laughs) I had to hold my breath to be able to say that out loud yeah, I bet. Yeah, I know. It's a that's a big bummer. The other one that we're still waiting to hear on is Wisconsin, which um, it would be huge if Mandela Barnes could could oust Ron Johnson there. Um, but you know, it's 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 looking close it's and maybe leaning leaning um, red. Same uh, with Nevada. Nevada's leaning Republican, but. Um, but in Arizona, you know, it's looking very good for for Democrats. So I don't know. It's really, 
it's, it's, it's tough to know. I, I think like the big, um, the big, big thing that is important for people to understand on climate is just, you know, what can happen if Republicans lock up um, both the House and the Senate and and um, what can happen if they just get the House. And, and like the answer on all of that is, is really like jamming up climate policy. So, yeah. um, you know, they have said that they want to, uh, you know, because keep in mind, like gas prices are a big, um, you know, talking point right now. And Republicans have been saying that if they get power, that they are going to do everything they can to spur domestic fossil fuel production. So, um, that's yeah. not good news. <laughs> Although you know, in saying that, that, like, uh, Biden hasn't exactly slowed it down. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. But they would really just like rip the earth out from underneath us. So like, yeah. there's a difference. Yeah. Um, but you know what's a good reason to need gas in your tank? What? When you have to evacuate from a fucking fire or a hurricane <laughs> or a flood. It's so true. it might get cheaper, but you're going to need a shit ton more of it. I know. It's <laughs> because, awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, it is true. I mean, in <sighs> other depressing news, John Kennedy is going back to the Senate to represent Louisiana. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think anybody was really expecting the Democrats to uh, win here in Louisiana. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, there were two. I talked about this before. There were two people running uh, as Democrats in this race. There's Gary Chambers, who is the one who had an environmental justice platform. Mm -hmm. So you can guess who mm -hmm. I voted for. Um, and Luke Mixon. And so I think what is interesting about this race, neither one of them got close, right? So Gary right. Chambers came in at 17.8. Luke Mixon came in at 13.2%. And I yeah. think what a lot of people might say is like, oh, if there hadn't been two of them running, then they mm. would have beat him. And like by those numbers, you can tell they wouldn't have. However, yeah. Gary Chambers did do better by a what I would better. call a significant amount. So he got That's a significant amount. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. got 5%. I'm not good at math. Whatever. <laughs> anything, <laughs> I feel like anything above 1% people in politics think of as like a big difference, you know? So yeah. I feel like, yeah, that there, that's like a noticeable difference. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just... Well, I there that, again, I, I feel something. like, yeah, what you see over and over again in these results is that the 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 folks who are playing it safe and kind of, you know, um, technically Democrat, but vote for a bunch of Republican policies and that kind of thing, like they did not do well in in this midterms. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I can't think of a single one where it's like, yeah, the middle of the road, not rocking the boat candidate one. Yeah. No country for centrist Dems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but to go back to the fun part of the night, uh, let's talk more about some snacks. So Amy, what's the sea monster's yes. favorite snack? I have never been a big white wine person and especially not in the fall, but after becoming a member of First Leaf, I'm a convert. First Leaf knew exactly what types of whites to send me that felt familiar and delicious and would get me excited about trying something new. I love First Leaf because they make it easy to get personalized wine delivered on my schedule right to my door. 
Since I choose the day that my shipment comes, I'm never stressing out about missing a delivery. And every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. I love how I just have to answer a few questions and they just know what I'll like. No more zoning out in the store looking at a hundred different bottles and trying to pick the right one. Give your palate what it really wants with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com drilled to sign up and you'll get your first six hand curated bottles for just $44.95. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com slash drilled. Tryfirstleaf.com slash drilled. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, EarthBreeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Earthbreeze.com slash drilled. Sea monster's favorite snack. Seaweed? Would that be funny though? <laughs> no, it's ships and dip. Ships and dip. Oh, nice. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I like it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, building off of um, what we were just saying about Gary Chambers, um, yeah. I, I vented to you over text about this, but there was an article that came out in the Atlantic that pissed me the entire hell off. About mm-hmm. the democratic obsession with um, superstar losers, which is what they call yeah. it. And they were talking about Beto and Stacey Abrams, um, mm-hmm. who have run races that cost a lot of money, and mm-hmm. according to this author, always lose. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And okay, I've got a lot of problems with this. Chief yeah. among them, Stacey Abrams did not lose her first race for governor. She actually won it. Um, And this article just kind of glosses over the injustices and voter suppression and all of the things that actually kept her from taking office. And so like, yeah, 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 that's just water under the bridge. But she lost. And why why do we keep giving her money? Mm. Um, So that was really uh, upsetting to me. But the main part that was like really upsetting is that Mm -hmm. um, these are both two Southern candidates. 
Okay. Right. And like, like, how do you make that argument in the context of complete lack of investment in the South? Like, I, I just for a generation, uh, at yeah. least a generation, the Democrats right. have just completely ceded the South to the Republicans and said, "We're going to lose. It's not worth even trying. So we're just mm-hmm. going to focus on the states where we win." And then you come back after Trump gets elected, try to run some races, and now it's like, well, if we didn't win, then fuck it. Exactly. I I don't understand the logic of that. I don't understand the strategy of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And there have been some pretty massive wins in the South Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. Trump era. Remember Doug Jones being elected senator of Alabama? That's right. Because I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like even getting close after having no ground game in this region since the 60s, really. Yeah, that's Right? right. Because mm-hmm. I will remind people yet again that it was black Southerners that made the Democratic Party a progressive party. That's, That's right. how it happened. It was mm-hmm. Fannie Lou Hamer and, yeah. you know, her coalition of people that did that. So yeah. you can't just all of a sudden come back and expect these wins to happen immediately. And also you can't expect to win in the South without addressing gerrymandering and voter suppression. Exactly. Fun yes. fact. You know how many, how long you get to be in the voting booth in Louisiana? How long? Six minutes. Are you fucking kidding me? They have a I'm time not. limit on. There's a time on... limit and it's strict. <gasps> I almost ran into it because there were also several wow. ballot measures that were worded in extremely circuitous language, including the one on slavery that I was talking about earlier. And wow. Amy, I am a trained policy editor and I had to read these things several times to make sure I knew what I was reading. That is crazy and you get to me. Six mi- That's voter suppression too. That very much is, yes. Right. Yes. And so it's, wow. it's not a simple ballot. And they make those those ballot measures complicated for a reason. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, you can't just like like abandon a place for that long and then expect to come back in and win. And if that candidate doesn't win, then fuck that candidate. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, I'm seeing this about uh, Texas a lot, too. Yeah. Um, not not just with respect to Beto, but also like. You know, Ken Paxton kept the attorney general position. All of the the Texas elections were Republican wins by like, I think it's fair to say a landslide. Um, and and there again, it's like, oh, see, you know, Democrats are just never going to win Texas. Why do we even bother? And I'm like, have you been bothering? Doesn't seem like <laughs> you, you know have. What, I mean? <laughs> yeah. what kind of spoiled brat shit is that? I just yeah yeah and. Uh, the article doesn't come up with any other solutions other than stop running these candidates. Well, if we don't run Stacey Abrams in Georgia for governor, who else should we have run? Right. What's the suggestion? Who else should we have run to run for, uh, for a governor in Texas other than Beto? They have the ground mm-hmm. game. They have the name recognition. Just And the argument is, though, like, well, they're popular outside of their states, but that doesn't make them popular in their states. Beto came damn close when he ran for senator. Mm-hmm. That's right. He actually did. He did. And he held on, even this time, he, he held on to almost all of the border counties, which is very interesting because the main hmm. thing that all the, te- the Texas Republicans run on, right, is border security and how right. much it's needed. But, like, you know, um, that's not playing that well in the border counties, apparently, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know? So anyway, yeah, I think, 
I don't know. To me, it's like I look at those races and I think, wow, you know, in the first governor race, like Stacey Abrams won that race despite all of the voter suppression and gerrymandering and whatever. Imagine what she could do with some actual support. And, right. and Beto, like he, you know, he actually was a serious challenger for Senate. Like imagine what he could do with if if like this if Democrats had been investing in the state all along. Like, I mean, I don't know. I just I feel like it's like that that vacuum has not just allowed those states to, you know, become solidly red um, in national elections. It's also allowed them to uh, become really like kind of legal and policy machines for the Republican Party. Like the the way that the Texas judicial system just tees up constitutional challenges is like right. it's pretty remarkable you know right. um so yeah i, I also want to emphasize that that chronic disinvestment in the region has mm -hmm. been a form of voter suppression in and of itself because mm -hmm. we've told voters in these states for decades your vote doesn't matter your vote doesn't matter your vote doesn't matter that's right it's yeah. difficult to get enthusiastic again after all mm -hmm. of that Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. All right. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about the other folks who were investing in all kinds of races, not any of the parties, but some American billionaires. Wait, wait, wait. But before we go on break, <laughs> why wouldn't the shrimp share his snacks? Why wouldn't the shrimp share his snacks? I don't know. Because he was shellfish. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of a shrimp version of stingy and I did I couldn't get there. I was so close. Um, were you? <laughs> Hot take is brought to you by Bite. Uh Mary I know that you don't live with any small humans or large men. But if you did, uh, let me tell you what you might find on your countertops. Disgusting tubes of toothpaste just spooging out everywhere all the time. <laughs> just a, a little window into family life. Uh, my solution has been bite toothpaste. I love these things. Like on top of the fact that I actually, I really like how they taste. They're these tiny little um, mint sized things that you pop into your mouth, you bite it and it kind of creates a toothpaste in your mouth. But more importantly than that, I like the way they look and I like that they don't come in plastic tubes. They come in these cute little glass jars. They don't make a mess. They sit on your counter and it's, it's like honestly dramatically improved my life. Would you say that they're filling? No, okay. I don't think so. But you have been no. eating them. I do pop them occasionally, like when I feel like I'm worried about my breath. <laughs> Way better than, like I used to do that with toothpaste. I would just like dab some toothpaste on my finger and like finger brush my teeth, which is totally ineffective. Mm. Unlike the bite pellets, which actually work. Um, obviously, because they come in refillable glass jars instead of plastic tubes, they're better for the planet as well. They also don't include all of the harsh chemicals, artificial flavors, and preservatives that are usually in toothpaste. So they're better for us as well. And today, Bite is offering our listeners 20% off their first order. 
go to trybite.com slash hot take. That's T-R-Y-B-I-T-E dot com slash hot take. Or you can use the code hot take at checkout to claim this deal. That's trybite.com slash hot take. Hot take is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Um, as our listeners know, I started taking AG1 because I read on the package that it had a uh, vegan collagen in it. And I'm always looking for <laughs> collagen out here. Yes. Like, yes. not only for the skincare benefits, but it keeps your joints lubricated and a bitch is getting old. So, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It is actually really good for that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Not trying to have my, my joints lock up in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. True. That would be a bad mm-hmm. scene. Um, so I take it often in the morning, just a little bit of water, put it in a little shaker and shake it up. And I've been trying to go to early morning yoga classes and it's a great way to get a little bit of nutrition and some hydration before you go to a hot yoga class at 6 15 in the morning, like a maniac. Um, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you're not getting too full. You're not like drinking caffeine and getting too jittery. That's you're not perfect. drinking coffee and dehydrating yourself, which is what I used to do. It's, it's mm-hmm. not the move. Um, yeah. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. It is lifestyle-friendly whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. That is a lot of freedom. Um, (laughs) uh, Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add in these winter months when we don't get as much sunlight. I know you love that vitamin D supplement. I do. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash hot take. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hot take to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Ah, all right. All right. Let's talk about what does all of this mean? So what does it mean if Democrats are looking to lose control of the House? What does that mean for climate? Um, it means really just a giant slowdown of everything. You know, I think it means that they will try to block the implementation of climate policy as long as they can. They will investigate all kinds of things. Like, for example, I could see them doing a bunch of probes at the EPA, um, which will hamstring that agency from actually, you know, getting on with the business of regulating air pollution and, um, implementing all of the various things they're supposed to be doing to incentivize the the transition to electricity. Um, so, you know, I think that like, I think that that that's kind of the major one in the house. Um, they will do everything they can to try to open up more land for drilling to, um, you know, incentivize more domestic oil production. You definitely won't be seeing any more climate disinformation hearings in the House. Oh no. I think they've they have said that they will that they want to investigate Biden. Um so 
I'm sure we'll be uh, we'll be hearing a lot about how um, you know I don't know Hunter Biden's laptop and shit <laughs> in the next couple years. Um, if they control the Senate, that becomes um, an even bigger issue, I think, because they could also hold up a lot of um, cabinet appointments and. Um, judicial confirmations and things like that. So, you know, it's not great. I also think, you know, there's this like obscure administrative law that comes up, I don't know, every, almost every four years now, it seems like where Congress, if, if like, if, so if Biden loses in 2024 and there's a Republican president, there is a period of time where Congress can roll back any kind of of policies that were put in place in like the last, I don't know, six months or so of that presidency. So there's some concern that Republicans in Congress will try to um, like slow down policymaking so much that it gets pushed into that window. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are those are all of like the the main things. I mean, the sort of good news, I guess, if you could call it that, is like the IRA is already passed. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that, and, and that was really more of an appropriations bill than a, than like a policy bill necessarily. So like that money know. has been, you, and, you know, like. Yeah. You and Rihanna talked about that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that stuff is reasonably safe from, from the house. Um, although I do think that, you know, there are, there are ways that, that Republicans could sort of slow down, um, some of the, the spending, excuse me, some of the spending that was approved there. Um, but yeah, basically just like a, a sort of grinding to the halt of any climate policy and a, a move to try to, um, incentivize oil and gas production. Now that said, um, as I've said like 10 times now, the entire reason that oil companies are not producing more oil and gas at the moment has nothing to do with Congress or Biden. It has to do with financials and their own financial decision making. So, uh, you know, even if Republicans try to, you know, quote unquote, support domestic oil production, that decision is ultimately up to the oil companies and they will continue to um, to make decisions that will pay back to their shareholders um, and enable stock buybacks and not necessarily lower the price of gas. So, um, you know, it's it's still kind of foggy, I would say, what's yeah. going to happen there. Yeah. And as for the Senate, uh, is it at all possible to get to a place where Joe Manchin is no longer king of the world oh, God. with this election? I wish, man. I really wish. Um, right now, it's not looking good because Nevada is looking like it will almost definitely go Republican. Arizona is looking like it will almost definitely go Democrat. And then you've got kind of Georgia in the middle, right? So um, you're not going to get like a filibuster-proof majority on yeah. either side. So at least there's that. Um, but yeah, Joe Manchin is still going to <laughs> retain his kingmaker status, unfortunately. What do you think are the odds of John Fetterman bullying the shit out of him, though? Um, I, I think that Joe Manchin could be scared of Fetterman. I feel like he's a big, I he's am. a big guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, he 
he's borderline a Yeti. He's like enormous and he's kind of tough looking in general too. So, um, so, you know, maybe that's the thing. Actually, I'm, it'll be very interesting to see how, um, like, I don't know, just, just how things play out with really, I think a growing number of progressives in Congress. Um, yeah. And God, I hope it means that we'll see some, you know, some changes in 2024 too. I really hope that this, this whole like punching left thing will stop. Um, yeah. Punch to the center guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just saw on Twitter, someone said that, um, John Fetterman looked like if a union was a person. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's maybe the best description I've ever heard of him. Very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty accurate. Yeah. Pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's talk about the other people who got involved financially in this race. We're talking about billionaires, Mary. (laughs) Now it's time for a little segment we like to call... This is like a mega, a mega billionaire burn. <laughs> a mega billionaire burn. Mega, mega. Yes. Mega, mega billionaire burn. Amazing. Um, Yeah. There were some serious mega donors showing up in, um, in this election. So uh, apparently this midterm election was as heavily influenced by billionaires as any U.S. election to date so they showed up in a big way um thankfully so did gen z voters but like it's pretty unfair for them to have to go up against the nation's billionaires i mean seriously (laughs) they have not had time to become a thousandaire let alone a billionaire yeah yeah um american billionaires spent at least 880 million dollars on the u.s midterm elections this cycle 18 of the top 25 donors were Republicans. They outspent Democrats by $200 million. Um, Yeah, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. We've got George Soros on our side, but they've got like 10 guys on there. I mean, seriously. And also, I will point out that the right does a way better job at demonizing the billionaires who support progressive policy than we have at at demonizing theirs, right? Like, we both listen to the Knowledge Fight podcast, um, and Mm -hmm. which is the only way I can... come into contact with Alex Jones and the, he talks about yeah. George Soros constantly constantly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Klaus Schwab who I'm not even gonna lie I don't really know who that is um but yeah. like he puts names to the people that he claims are behind the scenes on the left that's we right. don't do that with theirs so let's, let's talk about we're these gonna do it right now yeah, let's do it that's right let's do it that's right all right so first of all uh, Ronald Lauder, an heir of the Estee Lauder cosmetic fortune. You Estee are Lauder? fucking lying to me. Lauder? Yes. Yep. Estee Lauder. They own a shit the ton of makeup. Who... They own Bubble and Bumble. That's right. That's right. They made my grandma's favorite perfume and apparently a shitty billionaire as well. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. All right. I'm bracing. So... 
Ronald uh, gave at least $11 million to Lee Zeldin, who was the the Trump-backed Republican candidate for New York governor. Um, He still lost, so there's that. There's that little bit of good news. Uh, Kathy Hochul won that race despite... Uh, that's a I massive was really for a governor that. race. Eleven million dollars. I mean, they saw an opportunity. Uh, yeah, they really. Yeah, they were good at finding an opportunity, yeah. and it, they came really close. Yeah. And they should not have come that close in New York. So, yeah, that was you a nail biter. Like I, I feel like that. Um, this is a good time to also mention that, like the whole uh, fight over redistricting in New York, meant that like. You know, we like Democrats actually lost a few seats that they could have won for the House in New York, a Democratic stronghold because they like wouldn't go to the mat on on redistricting there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty it's frustrating. Like, I, I think that like it's frustrating to see. Republicans get away with yeah. like rampant gerrymandering and then Democrats kind of kind of like mess it up every time. Well, the thing is, I, um, I feel like yeah. the Democrats, when it comes to things like gerrymandering and voter suppression, they're kind of like, mm-hmm. we're going to play the long game, not realizing mm-hmm. the Republicans are the ones playing the long game here. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, oh, we're going to like the whole impeachment at the ballot box shit. Remember yeah. that? Can't really do yeah. that when your voters suppress. You know, you can't really do yeah. that when you've been disenfranchised. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. So I just, I feel like, um, I don't know. I just, I feel like the the fact that, like, that so many House seats in New York went to Republicans is a real, should be a real wake-up call to the to the Democratic Party that, like, you know, they cannot sleep even on states that they think they have locked up, that, you know, politics as usual is not working and that they are continuing to get their asses handed to them on the long game. <laughs> you know? I mean, serious. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a bummer. Um, also, I do want to note that the amount of money that was spent on that governor race, again, $11 million for, for the Republican guy, um, is has been called unprecedented in New York. Like, that, that is an insane amount of money right. to spend on, on a governor's race. Imagine um, what that money you know, just, could have done for climate action, though. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. And also, I just want to say, too, like, just because it didn't work this time doesn't mean that they won't be back with more money next time. Because guess what? Whereas the Democrats are like, oh, we lost. Never spend money on that again. The Republicans are like, keep funding it exactly. until we win. Exactly. Because um, <laughs> the long game. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. He actually, um, Louder is the guy who paid for the successful redistricting lawsuit that resulted in more neutral maps, reshaped the congressional map in New York and made it more Republican friendly. Um, so yeah, fuck this guy. Yeah. And, um, let's, let's all remember his name, write it down. And he's not alone. Unfortunately. Um, there was also a guy named Richard Uline. He's the CEO of Uline, Packaging. Oh no! He donated 
$67 million in this cycle. Oh my God. $67 million. Yeah. So yeah, oh. he was backing uh, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, Rand Paul in Kentucky, Ron DeSantis in Florida, Blake Masters. He also backed Ted Budd. So yeah, like a lot of, and a lot of those were wins, uh, by the way. So yeah. Amy, I just looked up who the Estee Lauder companies are, and I'm just going to go ne- need to go cry somewhere. <gasps> oh no. They own Smashbox. Which makes my favorite lip stain. Uh, they own Mac. They own uh, mm. Dr. Jart. They own Bobby Brown. No way. And Bumble and Bumble. Wow. Sad day. Well, sad day. It's a sad day. Yep. It is a sad, sad day. Wait, so is he, did he like break off from the family fortune and make his own doing this? Or like, are there other people at Estee Lauder who are like actually running the company and better than him and he's not profiting from it anymore? I don't know about like who's involved in the company, but I do know that Lauder's Ronald's brother is actually a big Democratic donor. <laughs> so okay. that sounds like a... Fun Thanksgiving this year. Yeah, I, I, I got a feeling they don't really fuck with each other at holidays. Um, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, you know, maybe you can keep buying Smashbox and, and think, well, this is going to the good brother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Richard Uline, $67 million. That is insane to me. That is insane. That is an incomprehensible amount of money for one person to be putting into an election. That is an economy. He, That's not a donation. It is. It is. Yeah. He also funded a bunch of attack ads against uh, Warnock, against Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers, and against Johnson's opponent in Wisconsin, of course, Mandela Barnes. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a, yep. sounds like he's tied to all the races that are about, um, you know, crime and punishment. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Um, we also have, so again, let's, uh, let's remember his name, Richard Uline spelled U I H L E I N. His company is Uline mm-hmm. U L I N E. <laughs> yeah. Oy. Um, yep. There's also, of course, Peter Thiel, who we have talked about before. He was, um, yes, he was J.D. Vance's primary backer in Ohio. A lot of people are talking about this as Peter Thiel basically buying a Senate seat in Ohio. Like, that's how much money he spent. Um, But, like, thankfully, he also was backing Blake Masters in Arizona along with Uline. And Blake Masters is definitely not going to win that race. So um, he's, like, several points behind. So, you know, he only won one Senate seat, not two, I guess. So he's got a bunker in New Zealand and a Senate seat in Ohio. All the bases are covered. That's true. It's true. Um, I also want to talk about Stephen Schwartzman. He's the CEO of Blackstone, which is one of the largest private equity firms in the world. Not to be confused with BlackRock, a different um, financial organization. Kind of similar, but different. Uh, Schwartzman is a big supporter of Amazon rainforest destruction. Oh, uh, that, there was a twist <laughs> yeah. at the end of that. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. He also invests in a bunch of fossil fuels. But today uh, we're talking about him because he was the third largest individual donor to Republican objectors to the 2020 election. And this year he donated tens of millions of dollars to Republican PACs, including the ones that were supporting Ron Johnson, J.D. Vance, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, Dr. Oz, and your favorite, Herschel Walker. He's not my favorite. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, he also recently had eight climate protesters arrested outside of his swanky apartment building in New York. What was the charge? Um, Critical infrastructure? <laughs> you know what? I should call the cops on Exxon for disturbing the peace and see how that goes. That would actually be interesting. You know? I feel like... Why not? I don't call the cops for a million reasons, um, but I might for that. I'm petty enough. Um, anyway. Okay, he was okay, apparently because they were blocking the entrance to his apartment building. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So I guess if you're having a protest, you know, back it up a few feet on the sidewalk. Um, or Steven Schwartzman might be calling to have you arrested. I guarantee he would call the cops any fucking way. And they would come because he oh, probably yeah, he pays for would. the cops. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to run down our list here, it's Ronald Lauder, Richard Uline, Steven Schwartzman, and Peter Thiel. Remember those names? I feel like we should be accusing Republican protesters of like cashing uline checks or cashing teal checks mm-hmm. the way that uh that the right accuses uh, you know climate protesters of just cashing soros checks yeah we should definitely at least like remember these names and connect these dots because they like yeah. bleed together yeah. so they absolutely do yeah gross um in other news uh what do lawyers eat for a snack If you're listening to this show, you are probably at least climate curious. And one thing that I get asked all the time is, okay, I understand that this is a big problem. We need to act now, but what can I do? The climate crisis can feel like such a huge, overwhelming problem, which is why this April, former U.S. Vice President Al Gore and The Climate Reality are holding a free training on what's happening with the climate and what we can personally do. And actually, I'm going to be part of that training. It all happens in New York City, April 12th through the 14th, and it's going to be big, really big. If you want to know what climate change means for your future, your career, your part of the country or the world, this training is for you. You'll get to hear straight from former U.S. Vice President Al Gore, and a lineup of incredible thought leaders, scientists, experts, and more at the top of their fields. I'll be doing a training on climate disinformation as part of this. You'll come away with a real understanding of what's happening to the planet and the skills to make a difference. If you complete the training, you'll join the Climate Reality Leadership Corps, a community of nearly 50,000 change makers all over the world. To learn more and apply, visit climaterealityproject.org slash new-york. That's climaterealityproject.org slash new-york. I hope to see you there.
Mm. You are not going to get this. <laughs> I don't know. All I can think of is shit. <laughs> and I know it's not that. <laughs> uh, the answer is, is trial mix. <laughs> trial mix. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That one. Hot Take is brought to you by Haya. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They honestly, on average, have two teaspoons of sugar, <laughs> two teaspoons, lots of unhealthy chemicals, and a bunch of other gummy junk that growing kids should probably not be eating. Unfortunately, that's also why a lot of kids, mine, won't take other vitamins because, <laughs> because the, the usual ones are so candy-like that it's hard to get them to take other vitamins. And that's why I was so thrilled to find Haya. Haya is a pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin, kind of tastes and, and you know has the texture of Smarties. So they totally love them, but they do not have all of that sugar and gross gummy stuff. Um, they're non-GMO, they're vegan, they're dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and don't contain any other gross stuff you might not want in your vitamins. They do contain lots of nutritional benefits for kids. They also come in these really cool little glass jars. So you get the jars initially. They send a bunch of stickers that your kids can use to decorate them. And then they just send refills every month after that. Sounds good. Yeah. it's They're, again, also very cute. Like the packaging is super cute. They taste good. So the kids will eat them. They're great. Also, they have a subscription. So I don't have to remember to buy them every <laughs> month, which is nice. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You can get 50% off your first order. That's five zero, half off. To claim this deal, you have to go to HayaHealth.com slash hot. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash hot and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Healthy adults who vote. Hot Take is brought to you by Idealist.org. Have your Sunday scaries turned into Monday melancholies and too bad it's only Tuesdays? It's time for you to visit Idealist.org to search thousands of jobs you'll love. You deserve to find work that earns you a paycheck and helps build a better world. Over the last 25 years, Idealist.org has helped millions of people find jobs with purpose, featuring jobs at nonprofits, socially conscious companies, and businesses hiring for socially responsible positions. Idealist.org can help you ditch the Sunday scaries for good. Want advice on how to succeed in your career? No matter where you work, the Idealist.org career advice blog offers everything you need to know about standing out. After submitting your resume, acing the interview, managing up, and achieving work-life balance. Career advice from Idealist.org will make sure you're prepared to chart a course through the career you've always dreamed about. So forget the gig economy and drop the daily grind. Go to Idealist.org slash work and apply for your dream job today. Life is short. Love your job. Another pitch for folks to send in their questions to hottake at crooked.com. We need them. We're doing a mailbag episode. Can't do it without a mailbag. 
Yeah. And then bag full of mail. Yeah. If you are confused about anything from dad jokes to... Just just ask us whatever, okay? You listen to the show. You know the shit we talk yeah. about. Ask us your yeah. questions. If we don't know the answer, we'll make it up. Yeah, or we'll we'll ask someone who might know. Amy Send might. It all. I'll make it up. <laughs> <laughs> Send it to hottake at crooked.com. Mary, uh, let's leave the U.S. for a few minutes here and talk about what's happening internationally on climate, which, of course, is the 27th, 27th Conference of the Parties. This is the U.N. annual climate negotiations that are happening in Egypt right now. They kicked off this week. They did. They did. Um, they're calling this one Africa's Cup, um, and which is interesting to me because not too long ago there was one in Morocco, and I don't understand why that wasn't Africa's yeah. Cup. Um, and why would Africa's Cup be held in one of the most repressive states in Africa for activism yeah. and also in a petro yeah. state? That doesn't make sense to me. Um, I know. So I know. I know we were. There's a lot about this cop that's not making. There's sense, it's not curling over. Um, but yeah, yeah, we were talking yeah. earlier about the just lack of journalists that went to cop, and you were saying, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's noticeable. Like I don't know. I I knew a bunch of people that were going last year in the bigger I, height of the pandemic. I might add. That's right. That's right. And none of the people that I knew that were going last year went this year. I can't say that I know a single reporter who's on the ground there right now. Like everyone I know who's writing about it is doing it from here, which like, you know, I'm not sure how much that really matters. Like you can absolutely cover what's happening from here. And it's way more important that the negotiators are there than journalists but still it's a little bit like huh okay well um, it, it makes me question yeah. all of these big commitments we've heard from news outlets about we're covering yes. climate as a story of our time and they're skipping cop yes. and not only cop but africa's cop right like this is supposed yeah. to be the one mm -hmm. where like um, you know, at least 30 countries are like, you know what? I can't do this debt and climate change at the same time. So I'm not doing the debt no more. That seems like a big thing. Yeah. Like this is a cop where they're really going to talk about loss and damages, AKA reparations. And there's just mm -hmm. like a, a dearth of journalists covering it. I feel like that sends yeah. a pretty powerful and pretty clear signal about what's important and what's not. Definitely. I've been feeling that a lot about the climate investments just this year in general. Um, I am consistently having the experience of editors on Climate Desk being like completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Like they're so short staffed. They don't have enough time. And, I, and I'm hearing this from other climate journalists, too, that like all of a sudden they're like, yeah, like it's taking me two or three weeks to get an edit back. Yeah. Because, you know, like no one is staffed up. Yeah. Um, which I'm like, what happened here? And then, yeah, I do think that, you know, like, yes, it's more expensive to send someone to Egypt than it is to send someone to Glasgow. For sure. Um, especially from New York, you know? So, like, definitely that is coming into um, into play. But, like, I, yeah, this is an important – not just because of um, the conversations around loss and damages, but also, like, I, I feel like this is – um, 
the way that it's that like the way that the Africa's cop thing is playing out is is really like a lot of African countries and global South countries in particular arguing for an extended timeline on fossil fuel development. And this is like a real, Hmm. it's a real dangerous narrative. Like it's, it's really, there's, there's, so there's like these two tracks, right? You have loss and damages happening and then you have a bunch of countries arguing and also framing it as a justice argument Mm -hmm. that, Global South countries should get a longer time to develop and use fossil fuels. That is all happening in the context of the price for gas being, you know, at global highs and a lot of, of African leaders saying, hey, we should get to cash in on this, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're calling it the dash for gas right now. Um, and and I, I think it's really like, I don't know, it's like a time where we really need journalists who understand enough of the the context there to kind of unpack that yeah um and and look at it and say look you know um should global south countries be forced to rapidly transition off of fossil fuels and leave it in the ground when global north countries did it no that seems patently unfair right however this idea that like we can kind of oh, it's okay. We can just like fudge the math a little bit and let these folks like make some money over here. And, and, and also like, why aren't we connecting the dots on these conversations? Right. Right. If you, if you want global South countries to benefit from fossil fuel money, I have a great idea for you. Take it from the fucking oil companies and the sovereign wealth funds that are entirely funded by oil money. Brilliant. Cough, cough, Norway. Um, Brilliant. You know, like it doesn't have to come in the form of a bunch of U.S. and European companies actually profiting from the oil and gas in African countries. Like that is not a justice solution. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, And and so I feel like, you know, right now is the time when we really need journalists to be kind of holding people's hand and walking them through this because it's very complicated, you know, and and it is very nuanced, and I don't think that we're going to get that kind of coverage of of COP, and we need it. It's super um, unfortunate. And and I'll just yeah. say about the lack of journalists attending COP, that's not the fault of the journalists themselves, and often not the fault of no. the editors themselves. Um, they're right. just for folks who don't work in media. There's a lot of decisions that people that whose names we know who have who write the stories and the bylines and all of that, like they don't really have a lot of say over that a lot of the time. So I don't want to say yeah. this to say like, oh, the journalists who went last year suddenly don't care because it wasn't their decision. Um, That's right. So just to, to clarify right. that. And I'll also plug that a friend of the show, former guest on the show, Akshat Rathi is in, uh, is, is at COP and you should follow him hey. on Twitter and follow his a work. Very good work. Um, yes. to, to get some coverage awesome. of it. Um, and yeah, we'll be watching for more journalists uh, at COP and hopefully, you know, we'll get some good stories out of this because it's not over. Yeah. How long does yeah. it go? Like two weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Another, um, I do, another shout out. Uh, I don't think she's there, but Kate Aronoff wrote a great piece in the new Republic about the plan that John Kerry has gone to cop with, which surprise, surprise is not loss and damage. It's, it's, um, it's this idea that no one can really afford 
their loss and damages commitments and that instead we should be paying for adaptation and transition with a carbon market. So he announced this this morning. It's Wednesday morning. He announced it this morning um, and is, you know, he's just very committed to the idea that market solutions are the way to go. Um, mm. And that is what he's pushing at COP. So we'll see how people react to that. <laughs> yep. We will absolutely see how that goes. Yeah. <sighs> I feel like I'm yeah. going to need a whole new wave of snacks to get through the end of cop um it's true yeah it's true yeah. uh what's it yeah. called when you share your fruit snacks amy mm, i don't know god i'm so bad at these what is it welch redistribution Ooh, i like that uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> i have to say i do also like welch's fruit snacks i've stolen them from my kids lunches a couple of times you are the fucking hamburglar all right. We talked about all the like um, billionaire political donors, but now it's time to have our first ever repeat billionaire burn. Yep. Let's do it. Our first one. And it, it's well-deserved. Um, and I don't think this person is very different from the other billionaires we talked about in the sense that he absolutely uses his money to influence politics because this motherfucker bought Twitter. Yep. And I think a lot of people think he's running it into the ground. And I don't think he's running into it. Like they kind of think it's because of, you know, he's just really bad at business. No, I think this motherfucker mm -hmm. knows exactly what we're doing. We're talking about Amy's Twitter bay, Elon Musk. Oh, Elon. Oh, Elon. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he woke up the other morning and decided to tweet that, quote unquote, independently minded voters should vote Republican because it's better to have the House or like Congress and the, the White House be different political parties. Yeah. Let's start there. OK, so. I think a lot of folks like kind of lampoon this tweet as like, oh my God, that's such a stupid idea. Yeah, I, I don't mm -hmm. think Elon actually thinks that that's how you strike a balance of power. I think this man yeah. wants fascism for real. Um, and that's yeah. why he wants people to vote for Republicans because Elon, I don't think is stupid. I think he's yeah. craven and I think that he is a fascist. Um, and mm -hmm. after this episode comes out, I'm probably not going to have a Twitter account. So it's been real, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that he does not think that there should be any checks on the power of wealth. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You know, he doesn't like he's been very anti-journalist ever since journalists started to actually do their jobs when covering Tesla uh -huh. and like criticized him sometimes. Yeah. Um, he could not handle that. Like when stories started coming out about him, um, you know, not treating workers well and being very anti-union and then, you know, skirting a bunch of environmental regulations and all of that stuff. Like when it, when it went from being, you know, Teslas are amazing and Elon is a god yeah. to just covering him like any other 
billionaire in any other company, like he lost his shit and he has been trying. I mean, like even, I don't know, five or six years ago, he had this idea for, for what was essentially like a Yelp for journalists yeah. that he was calling Pravda, where it was like, you could, you could vote and like people would, would, um, decide whether this person was credible or not and give them a rating. And if they had a low rating, then you knew it was their... an uncredible journalist. Yeah. And their stories would like show up, you know, lower in the results of like, you know, Google and Twitter and all of these things. So I'm like, I feel like buying Twitter and turning it into a platform for fascism is like, kind of checking a lot of boxes for Elon. Yeah, I mean, he's wanted to disrupt <laughs> truth for a long time. You know, disrupt reality. Right. And so let's let's talk about some of the changes he's made now that he's part of Twitter uh, or owner of Twitter. Yeah. One of the most uh, famous ones or infamous rather is he's instituted a process for people to purchase uh, verification. That's and right. so you pay $8 a month and you get a blue check. Um, and, right. you know, he's kind of defended mm -hmm. this as democratizing um, the the veri verification process. Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, oh, a democracy where you can pay for rights. Uh <laughs> <laughs> right, because that's democratic because everyone has money, Amy. Yeah, I of honestly, course a billionaire thinks that. So many things that he says, it's like, oh, like it, it's totally outside of the realm of of like possibility for you that some people don't have money um, or that like people don't who don't have enough money. It's not because like they, you know, deserve to not have money or whatever. You know, he's very into that whole this is such a like, you know, Silicon Valley libertarian mind like worldview in general. Right. That like. Anyone who doesn't have money, it's because they either didn't work hard enough or weren't talented or smart enough, right? So, like, exactly. fuck them. Or um, they didn't steal good enough. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, he he has also, like, muddled this up quite a bit um, in, the, in recent days. So, like, first it was, like, all the blue checks are going to be gone, and if you want one, you have to pay. Then, and people yeah. were like, what? And he was going to charge $20 a month. Then he was like, okay, what about $8 a month? And we're going to leave the blue checks that are there in place, um, but we're going to let pe new people buy them and there won't be any way to distinguish between them. And then it became, now Twitter is going to have a quote unquote official um, label that it will apply to some accounts, but it's unclear how that is all going to work. Uh, it's just yeah, like, hear all this. it's so, it's like, ugh, I don't know. And then he keeps, of course, like he's as part of his whole, like, oh, this is democratizing it. He, he likes to big himself up as, as a free speech warrior. Right. But like, he's been liberally um, suspending and banning people who, mm -hmm. you know, say mean things about him. Um, or impersonate him, right? Or, like, or very clearly not impersonating him. That's right. But uh, to go back to the blue check thing. So I, yeah. I've never had a blue check. Yeah. You're like a journalist, so you have one. Yeah. Is it is it really that different? Do you get caviar or something? No. Uh, like I, yeah, I have a, I have a blue check because my boss like 15 years ago, verified the whole newsroom. You know what I mean? It's like, it was never, it wasn't like a, Ooh, I definitely know that like there are people who see it as, um, 
a marker of prestige. There's actually like, I I've been dabbling in Mastodon, which is like this competitor to Twitter that a lot of people are, are checking out in case Twitter folds. And um, they very specifically don't have any kind of a, um, a check mark thing. And it's funny because some people um, like try, like try to put a check mark in their username to make it look like more important mm. or whatever. But a lot of people on there are like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't want to have this like division amongst users because Mastodon was really built with community in mind. And um, specifically, it was a lot of like um, marginalized communities and the disabled community in particular that, um, that like weighed in on a lot of the features on Mastodon. So like, there are a lot of rules in place that make it much less toxic than Twitter. <laughs> so anyway, I'm like, mm. you know, it's interesting because Elon claims that he wanted to get rid of the quote unquote caste system on Twitter and hierarchy and elitist in the media and this and that. But like, there's already an example of something that has done that and has done it in a way that um, works, you know, <laughs> Like, instead of doing that, he's sort of just causing lots of, of new problems. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also heard that he fired damn near everyone who makes Twitter work. That's right. He fired a bunch of people and then he was trying to hire a bunch of them back because he realized he actually needed them. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't imagine what those like comeback emails are like. I like, know. baby, please. I know. <laughs> I didn't mean it. He fired the entire human rights team, which seems bad for uh, That does seem bad. Is future. he trying to get them back? <laughs> Not that I've heard of, though. I haven't heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, yeah. he also is, like, unblocking and unmuting himself um, from people's accounts, yes! <laughs> which I find hilarious. Um, I'm like, is he going to get rid of those options? Like, is that... I don't know. Is that part of his quote unquote free speech push? It's like you have to listen to everyone. You can't mute anyone anymore. Who knows? Or you can't mute me. Uh, yeah. But you had him mute it, right? I did. And now he's not. So I'm just like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to try muting him and see what happens. <laughs> um, you know, and also I'm pretty sure that my favorite pastime of cyberbullying fossil fuel companies is probably going to not be allowed soon. So I should probably like get that in yeah. while I can. And yes, I would not, I would take it as a little bit of a badge of honor if that's why I got kicked off Twitter. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh God. Oh God. I, I saw someone else tweet that like after he fired all of those people and made them like come up with a way to, pay for verification in a week they were like i i, I get why the tesla's set on fire now mm. yeah. yeah makes sense yeah totally sense. totally um also so there was there were some interesting um there were some interesting things coming out this week too about how you know because he was threatening to buy twitter um it actually made the company less financially viable so by the time he took it over it was like worth less because of his affiliation to it which is really funny because like that's kind of what he's been using as his justification for doing you know things like charging for verification it's like well we need to get you know twitter's revenue up and it's like if you had just left it alone 
it would have been okay. Um, right, right. Yeah. And and to go back to the layoffs. Yeah. So he fired and disbanded the whole workforce in Ghana. Oh my God. Um, and Ghana was the only African office that Twitter had. <gasps> and none of the employees are being offered severance or other protections that the American employees are getting. Uh, surprise, surprise. Because he's like the fucking worst on labor rights across the board. And he's a fucking racist. Um, yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Reminder that this man is from South Africa and was very, very much profited off of apartheid and emerald mining. Yeah, he has said that he like didn't see black people growing up in South Africa. So that just kind of tells you about the context there. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you pull that off, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. so I Yeah, I just, I think it's like, I don't know. It's not good. And the thing is, is like initially a lot of people were sort of like, oh, this sucks because, you know, Twitter was a place where um, I hung out with my friends or I found out about news or whatever. I think like the broader implications are really, it's very bad for information, right? And organizing, it's very bad for climate folks in particular sharing climate stories, organizing protests, all of that stuff. Like a lot of that um, Twitter was a real hub for. And I think a lot of folks are, you know, um, justifiably worried about that going away. Yep. I don't know. I I think that we talk a lot. I've tweeted about this already, but like, I think we talk a lot of shit about Twitter being this hellhole and this you know, really awful place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can definitely be that. Yeah. Um, but it's also a place where progressive voices come and can be heard, right? That's like right. you don't have to already be endorsed by any other sort of site. Like you mm-hmm. can get your ideas out there into the public square. Um, and while our public discourse is broken, it largely does happen on Twitter. And getting rid of Twitter does not fix our public discourse. Mm-mm. It further breaks and fractures it, right? So yeah. I think the point of destroying Twitter is to push us further into our echo chambers and further Definitely. into our silos, right? Definitely. Like, I know that I've learned a shit ton about things like prison abolition and climate justice Mm -hmm. and so many other issues on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And to get rid of that, um, I I think is a very calculated move to um, hurt the progressive movement. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So yeah, not, um, not a, not a clown, kind of an evil genius and we're not into it. Yeah. And we should take him seriously. Yeah. I, I don't think making fun of him, making fun of him is exactly what he wants. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how he knows he's getting away with it in broad fucking daylight. Like, I, I just don't see any of this as funny and I don't see any of it as accidental. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So, fuck Elon and drink water. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. Fuck Elon, eat snacks. Yep. Yep. Holler at us, nuts.com. We're, um... <laughs> yeah, seriously, I, I could hawk the shit out of some nuts.com. It's a great site. Hot Take is a Crooked Media production. It's produced by Ray Pang and mixed and edited by Jordan Cantor. Our music is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Leo Duran is our senior producer, and our executive producers 
are Mariana East Hegler, Michael Martinez, and me, Amy Westervelt. Special thanks to Sandy Gerard, Ari Schwartz, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landes for production support, and to Amelia Montooth for digital support. You can follow the show on Twitter at Real Hot Take, sign up for our newsletter at hottakepod.com, and subscribe to Crooked Media's video channel at youtube.com slash crookedmedia.com.